stop right there. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah. I, I need friends. Welcome to the Suicide Squad cast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yep, we are all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and the small screens, and we want to make sure that we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. My name is Scott. And I'm Tim, and we are the Suicide Squad cast. Scott, how you been this week, man? I've been pretty good. Just checking out some of this news today, and it was so weird because stuff was even dropping like this morning. I was like rolling in the show notes right before <laughs> we recorded. Yeah, I saw that. But I'm glad we got a couple of new items today because it's actually been one of those kind of typical light weeks that we get this time of year. Yeah. I wanted to start off with this Hollywood Reporter article that I saw. It was kind of talking about Zack Snyder's post-Justice League plans. Yeah. And once again, we're kind of dealing with an article that the headline says one thing and then the story says another. Mm -hmm. Uh, But apparently, uh, Zack Snyder is going to kind of hit the pause button on the DC Extended Universe for a little bit because after Justice League, there's sort of a passion project of his called The Last Photograph that looks like is going to be his very next film. Yeah. It's apparently centers around around a war correspondent in Afghanistan who survives an attack where everyone else kind of gets wiped out and just kind of follows his story. Apparently, this has been in development since after 300. Yeah. And now he's finally got the chance to kind of make it happen. Yeah, this was something where uh, after 300 came out, he worked with, I think it was Kurt Johnstad on the script. And it's been in development for long enough that the, the rights have actually lapsed. So now we actually have a producer in Hollywood named Gianni Nunari is in the process of trying to negotiate and new deal here so that they can kind of get this thing going again. But, you know, I actually, I think this will be a lot of fun because I, I really would like to see Zack Snyder do something different. And, uh, you know, I mean, if obviously we're going to have three DC films in a row here with him. And so we definitely know what we're going to get with those films. And it'll just be really neat to see something that is pretty contemporary and from what I would assume here is pretty reality based. And so this will be real interesting to see, you know, how he takes this and especially a passion project. You know, you know, you always like to see how those come out. Yeah. The thing that got me, though, was that a lot of the stories reporting the fact that you know uh, that Justice League 2 is being bumped for the Batman and that Snyder like a lot of people were reporting this was a confirmation that Zack Snyder was definitely directing Justice League 2. Yeah. Now all of the stories seem to come out of this Hollywood Reporter article mm-hmm. and the only line in the Hollywood Reporter article was Snyder is still intent on directing Justice League 2 but that movie has been pushed back to make room for Ben Affleck's Batman standalone movie. Yeah. So all that says is Snyder intends to direct Justice League 2, yeah. not that he actually is. Right, right. So that that was the same thing I concluded when I read the article is, uh, you know, because of the headlines, I had the same expectation. And as usual, the headlines let us down. <laughs> but yeah, this sounds to me like this is Snyder's word saying that, you know, he's expecting to come back and do Justice League 2. But there's never been any kind of confirmation for sure that he was going to be that person. And I think it's going to largely depend on, you know, how well Justice League is actually received here. So there's no confirmation confirmation here whatsoever that Zach is coming back to do that second part. Now, my question is, to your point, is that going to be a case of it depends on how well Justice League is received or how well Justice League financially does? Um, well, I think uh, they kind of go hand in hand. Let's put it this way. Batman v Superman financially did pretty well, not as well as they had hoped, and it was because it was not received well. And so I, I think I think it's really going to be both of those really tied together. But then Suicide 
squad was critically bashed, but then I would say overperformed to most people's expectations. So it right. it doesn't always it doesn't always go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, you know, this is especially with a lot of uncertainty looming with Warner Brothers right now with uh, the upcoming merger with AT and T. You know, there's going to be a lot of financial uncertainty and and maybe a lot more conservative approach to what they do with their film slate kind of going forward here um, until they can kind of get the co- two companies merged together and all that. So you know, I, I think I think we're kind of entering a little bit of an era here where you know I think they're going to be a little bit more measured. And a little less willing to take some big risks just for the time being till they get this this kind of settled. Because, I mean, this is a big sea change for the studio here. When you've, when you've got a telecommunications company buying you up, it's a totally different type of business. And so there there's going to be a lot of culture clashes that's going to go on. And so, you know, Scott, we, as we talked before we start recording, I've gone through a few different mergers or two different mergers in my career. And there's always a lot of uncertainty when these things happen. And so it's going to be no different, especially a BMF company like AT&T purchasing a huge studio. Well, and that kind of leads right into this op-ed piece. It's from Mark Hughes over at Forbes. You know, I remember around Batman v Superman, Mark Hughes' name came up a lot mm-hmm. in, in our show. And he kind of wrote an article, what he was kind of detailing was, if this is the worst case scenario for the DCEU, it's not that bad, mm-hmm. which, which was kind of what his headline was. Right. And he brought up the AT&T merger when he was kind of talking about what the future may hold for Warner Brothers and the DCEU. Mm-hmm. Now, how he kind of started off, though, by mentioning The Flash and kind of looking at the road bumps that The Flash movie has had. Right. And really, it seemed like Mark Hughes was semi-confirming speculation that even we had had mm-hmm. on the show. Right. Specifically talking about sort of the vision clashes between Rick Famuyiwa and uh, Warner Brothers and what those, quote, creative differences were. Right. Yeah, and I think maybe the best way to kind of talk about Mark's article here is to kind of walk through his thought process to kind of get to the point that he was making about where he thinks the future might go. And and when it came to the Flash film, you know, his sources or at least his connections are kind of explained to him that Warner wants to, they want something that's similar to like a buddy cop type of approach for this particular superhero movie talking about the Flash. Warner Brothers kind of sees the Flash as the one movie that they would call a typical kind of Marvel type of movie. And so they want, you know, they want that one to have more humor and an overall lighthearted tone. And so in particular, they really intend for The Flash to really appeal to younger fans, uh, you know, more of a family audience type of film. And uh, and not so much like the very adult and serious take that we've had with uh, the other DCEU films. And so when they first decided to bring in Rick Famuyiwa, they saw that, you know, he kind of had those sensibilities that they wanted. But I think when they really kind of got onto the nuts and bolts of it, they they really saw that Rick really wanted to introduce a lot more of the, the racial and social themes, especially with the fact that they were going to be using Flash with Cyborg in the same film, you know, two young characters. And uh, and it seems like Warner Brothers really didn't want to necessarily go into that much of a serious direction uh, in terms of like social commentary. And so we had kind of speculated this uh, as well. And and so I think this is truly a case where there were genuine creative differences here. And, and it was, I guess, in the studio's eyes, it was the right thing to do to really kind of move on. Yeah. And the idea that uh, Rick really couldn't, Rick was not comfortable with letting go of some of those things that are very near and dear to him. Right. 
and the studio was going, but that's not what we want. And Rick just decided, well, if it's not what you want, then then really I'm not the guy you want. Right. Which you got to respect both sides for going, this isn't going to work out. Yeah. And let's remember here, now we, we hear this all the time as a criticism to Warner Brothers here that, uh, you know, Warner Brothers describes themselves very much as a creator driven studio. And, uh, you know, that's very true. But when it comes to something that's very important in terms of intellectual property for the studio, when you're dealing with characters like Superman and Batman and, uh, you know, Flash is obviously becoming one of those very important properties. You know, you you, want to give creative freedom, but, you know, there are limits to how much you're willing to kind of give. And so I think when it comes to these types of properties, you're going to see the studio take a heavier hand in how these films are actually presented. And then Mark went on to talk about that behind the scenes, there's a lot of, according to his sources, there continues to be a lot of discussion about what precisely Warner Brothers wants their DCEU to be, that Jeff Johns has taken a much more defining role in shaping the tone and direction of the DCEU. And Mark said, do not be surprised that we can, that we'll can likely continue to see release dates get moved around mm-hmm. or uh, one or two movies being significantly retooled to fit the emerging plan. So there was an idea of what they wanted. There was a plan and now there's another plan. Right. And so don't be surprised when the plans change. And I think Mark's point was in his and Mark has always been a bit of a DCEU apologist. You know, he's always been kind of a half the glass is half full kind of guy mm-hmm. when it comes to DCEU. And I think his point was don't be surprised and don't be worried when these adjustments are being made mm-hmm. because they are adjustments. And so that means change is going to happen. Yeah. They know they can't continue doing what they've done before. They got to make changes. So stuff is going to have to get moved around. I mean, we, we've been speculating that Flash is not going to be able to hit that date mm-hmm. that was originally speculated because there's no way you can get a movie made with no director at this point. Yeah, unless they've got something that just haven't announced yet at this point. But I mean, and that's the other thing too, you got to remember when they brought in John Berg and Jeff Johns as the uh, co-executives over DC Films here, this is their job. This is their job to to make adjustments to the course that maybe had loosely kind of been mapped out. Right now, they're trying to really figure out exactly how they want this thing to shape up long term. And so none of this is really surprising really at all. And uh, the fact that you have Johns coming in to, to try to put a little bit of more of a, a defining shape of the tone and direction of DC films going forward. I mean, this is this is exactly what he was brought in to do. Yeah. Now, at this point in Mark Hughes's article, and we are, and you got to understand, listeners, we are hitting broad strokes. Mm-hmm. This is like any Mark Hughes article is a, a five course meal where you really have to like read it multiple times. And so we're giving you broad strokes. And what we're going to go ahead and say now is we strongly recommend that if this is a story that interests you, you need to go to Forbes and you need to read this article for yourself. Yeah. Because we are not, we are not nearly going to give you everything that was in that article, especially towards the end where it's a lot more of Mark's speculations. Yeah. And I think probably one of the most important things that Mark speculated on is is how the impact of AT&T purchasing Warner Brothers, you know, how is that impact going to really affect what DC Films is doing going forward? And and there was a lot of uh, interesting discussion that Mark had in there in his article. And, and of course, you know, AT&T is, you know, spending $85 billion to purchase Time Warner. And when you do something like that, I mean, that's a ton of money. So you, when a company does this, they're going to come in and with a fine tooth comb, go in and figure out, okay, what, what were the risky things we were doing? Because, you know, you, you're not going to be as risk tolerant uh, in the short term to where you're spending your money because, you know, you've taken on probably a lot of debt at this point. And so that was the speculation Mark had. And this was, well, how does this potentially affect what DC Films is doing? Now, we do know that from Warner Brothers perspective with Kevin Sujihara, what's real important for the future success of Warner Brothers is to really kind of concentrate on these tentpole films. And, 
you know, so up to this point, they had identified that DC Films is pretty much going to be number one in terms of their priority to have a silo that they really want to try to build up. Uh, next to that was Harry Potter Films, and the third leg was going to be the Lego Films. And so, and also what Mark was basically hinting at is he didn't think that this was necessarily going to change anything when it came to DC Films because of that. Yeah. And once again, we got to talk about the AT&T merger as a possibility because it still hasn't passed regulatory muster yet. So, you know, th- this is all this is all guessing games at this point. Right. We don't even know if it's going to go forward, but we're we're all just speculating on the because if it doesn't go forward, big deal. We're just doing what we've always been doing. What the reason we bring this up is if it does happen, that's when we have to consider what what effect it may have, because that's when things might get a little sh- shaken up, because as I think, Tim, you and I were talking offline before we started recording with AT&T getting involved. Do not be surprised if the game plan gets a little bit more conservative, that AT&T doesn't want to, you know, take a chance at this point with such big intellectual properties. Mm-hmm. Right. And so kind of along those lines, part of that about not wanting to take a chance is, you know, maybe they are not so willing to do a cyborg film at this point in time, or maybe they're not so willing to, you know, go after and do a, a Green Lantern Corps type film at this point. And so maybe more of the emphasis will be on the big IPs, you know, your Wonder Woman, your Justice League, your Suicide Squad now, obviously Batman and Superman. So we don't really know at this point. It's just, you know, <laughs> at this at this juncture, we just have to kind of sit back and just see what happens. Yeah. So Scott, let's move on and talk a little bit about how Apple might be jumping into the home viewing of movies while they're still out in theaters. And so I know we, you and I both got suckered in by this clickbait article, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But well, well why don't we just mention it right now? The headlines for this story actually said something like uh, Justice League may be available to rent while in theaters, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is why I immediately found the Bloomberg article that everyone was taking that from mm-hmm. and went straight to the Bloomberg article because that's not what the Bloomberg article said. No, not at all. And, and Justice League was never even mentioned in the Bloomberg article. Yeah. Here's basically what Bloomberg, the original source, said. According to this is and this is a quote, according to people with knowledge of the matter who asked not to be identified because the discussions are private. So throughout the article, you just hear of people in the know is basically all you are the sources for this article. Mm-hmm. Apple is pressing, and that's their words, pressing Hollywood studios to earlier access to movies because Apple wants to bolster their iTunes business. Apparently, the three confirmed studios in talks are 21st Century Fox, Time Warner, Warner Brothers, and uh, Comcast Universal Pictures. What they're hoping that what Apple's hoping will happen is that these studios will agree to let Apple offer high priced home video rentals of new movies shortly after they open in theaters. Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, roughly when we talk about high price is the idea of asking you to pay 25 to $50 to watch a movie while it's in theaters, being able to rent it on iTunes and watch it at home. Yeah. Well, we actually had talked about this earlier this year and it was, uh, it was, who was the guy from Napster? What was his name? Sean, Sean Parker. I think it was Sean Parker. Yeah, I would say Justin Timberlake. Yeah. But that's, that's social network. Sean Parker. <laughs> yeah, it was Sean Parker, it formerly uh, infamously of Napster, uh, kind of like the first service out there was basically pirating all kinds of music, allowing you to pirate him. Uh, so he's been trying to get this thing started called the Screening Room, and this would allow you to, at home, watch films through this exclusive service. And you, again, you would pay you know somewhere around 25 to $50 hours, uh, just to rent the film at home. And so what was real important to, I, I guess, their strategy at, for the Screening Room was to have an encrypted broadcast of this film. And and on top of that, Sean Parker was going to have like a watermark, a unique watermark that would be embedded into the picture somewhere that they could 
could basically pull back out and figure out where something had been pirated from. So like, you know, you can have all this encryption in the world, but you could still sit there with a video camera and film the actual broadcast on the TV. So this is um, when it all comes down to it. I th- I'm trying to think at the time when we talked about this last March, we kind of find the idea interesting. But I mean, I think ultimately, unless there was some kind of deal where I could purchase this thing and watch it at home and and end up getting the digital rights to it later, I don't really find a whole lot of interest in this. No. And w- the reason Apple's interested in it is because Apple has found themselves, and this is what Bloomberg reported, with a dominant role in music retailing, but they haven't quite cornered that market in music and video streaming. Apparently, they're still kind of floundering behind Netflix and Amazon. Mm-hmm. And so this is Apple trying to find its niche, trying to find something that it has that would, you know, bring people to them because they would have some sort of exclusivity to it. But to your point, why? I'm sorry, it's still cheaper for me to go to a theater to go see a movie than what their what these suggested rental prices are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, and yes, I, that's not including like concessions and everything. But if we're talking just I go to the theater to buy a ticket, mm-hmm. I can still I can still see a movie for less than twenty five dollars. And that's like evening prices. The one I'm talking about prices. Yeah. And I guess the idea on this too is, uh, you know, the people that would be taking advantage of this would probably be a few different couples getting together to watch a film. And then it would, you know, it financially kind of makes sense to do it. But for me, it's still, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't, I just don't see myself personally doing this at this point. But the other thing that they're trying to do here is they're looking at possibly starting this two weeks after release of the film in the theater. So it allows the actual cinemas and all that to bring in what well, they probably bring in like 60%, 70% of all their revenue probably in those first couple of weeks, right? And so it would allow them to kind of like still capture all that and then be able to have these home viewings, which would not necessarily um, kind of hurt their ability to kind of get those debut ticket sales. Yeah, but I, there was another part of the article that said that, of course, movie theaters are not keen on this idea because their their numbers have been rather flat, you know, l- recently and shares of movie theater chains are dropping like bricks. And so they don't like this because right now their deal, even with their deals of Usually they get movies for at least 90 days. Yeah. The idea that they'd lose it after 14 days mm-hmm. and that people then could see those exact same movies at home. You know, it's not exactly something that movie theater chains are that interested in. So there's I, I can see why people th- these are apparently very sensitive talks because mm-hmm. there's a lot of wheels. and There's a lot of different people who get really PO'd uh, depending on how these negotiations go. Right. Well, and let's remember, too, you know, this is a this is a big sea change in how this business is going to go forward here. You know, when you're talking about how when we went from physical media from like CDs to digital music, you know, that was a big sea change. And this is another one. This is a potential big sea change. And so, um, you know, these businesses are going to have to figure out, you know, what's the best way to go forward that gives them um, the same kind of level of profitability that they were accustomed to having. And it's going to be interesting. I I think this is going to take a little while to kind of get all this stuff worked out. Oh, the one thing I wanted to pull out here, because it is Warner Brothers related, is that Kevin Sujihara had an interesting quote. uh, Well, it was a paraphrase, actually, that said that his thoughts on the matter were earlier availability of new movies could satisfy a growing consumer appetite and deter piracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he mentioned that in that conference uh, as well that we talked about two weeks ago. It was last week. Or, yeah. No, it was actually last week, yeah. And, you know, I, I think I think there is some truth to that, that it could help prevent it, but, you know, I don't know. I think it's going to still have a limited amount of an effect. I think people who are going to pirate are going to pirate. They're going to pirate, I right. Yeah. I, I do feel that way. Let's talk a little bit about Suicide Squad. We have the Blu-ray coming out on Tuesday. Do not forget that. Or today. Or today. If you're me. I mean... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Target just shipped mine a little early, so it got delivered uh, this a- this morning. Actually, nine twenty this morning, my uh, Target lenticular book edition came in. So yeah, yeah that's cool. kind of sweet. Yeah, I've got my four K version coming in on Tuesday. And Scott, have you changed your view on four K yet? No, but the the Best Buy Steel Book is only available in the full four K. Okay. Uh, so I got that because I'm getting the four K Steel Book and I'm getting the uh, graphic novel, which actually is apparently I think some of those promotional comics that get released. That's what's going to be in the nice little hardcover for Suicide Squad from Best Buy this time. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's almost worth it. So I'm looking for I'm looking forward to checking that out. Yeah. Um, yeah so real quick uh, comment on 4K. We actually had a listener and I can't remember who it was. Ross Flowers. It was, it was Ross, Ross Flowers. Flowers. Yeah, I said it's time for you to upgrade. And I was actually this past week I had a little bit of time to kill, and so I actually threw on Batman v Superman in uh, 4K. I've got a 4K player, and of course the the 4K disc, and then and then the TV and all that, and and just throwing it in and just watching. I'm like, oh, it just looks so beautiful. <laughs> it is a it is a step up from Blu-ray, you know. So it uh, it was very reminiscent of like what you actually see in a theater to me anyway. So, so beautiful. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to actually seeing that, be able to watch it this upcoming week. So yeah, guys, don't forget about that. We have a little bit of Margot Robbie news now. Margot Robbie was named by IMDb as the most searched and clicked on actress in 2016. She was searched for more than anybody else for the entire year. And so she was on the list last year as well, but she was number three. And so she is now the top person. Well, it's, it's to be expected with, you know, such a big movie coming out. She's actually had about three movies come out this year. I mean, she was in that Tina Fey comedy, Wisco Tango Foxtrot. She was at Jane in the Legend of Tarzan movie, and she was in Suicide Squad. So oh, she yep. she had a big year to help out with that. Of course, Suicide Squad probably drove most of that, but you know she she had a she had a big year this year. So good for her. Yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting that Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones and Stranger Things Millie Bobby Brown were number two and number three. Yeah, and I thought wow that kind of ranged the gambit, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really did. I you know I'm not real familiar with Millie Brown because I haven't watched uh, Stranger Things yet. Oh, you need to. Uh, my wife and I just watched that over Thanksgiving. Oh, oh yeah, you are yeah. going to eat it up. Okay, but um, Millie Brown when you watch it she plays the character. 11. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, so we got some more Suicide Squad news, Grammy nods for the soundtrack. And I guess we actually got, what is it? Five different nods. Yes. It was best compilation soundtrack for visual media, which was actually for the collector's edition, which was that digital only release that came out. Mm -hmm. Then there were two nominations for best song written for visual media, which was 21 Pilots, Heathens and Skrillex and Rick Ross's Purple Lamborghini. There was best rock performance, which was Heathens and best rock song, which was Heathens. And I still love that song. Every time I hear that come on the radio, I just absolutely love Heathens. <laughs> well, I think that's the point, though. It's still yeah. playing on the radio. It's still playing. I, I still hear it all the time. So and and luckily, I just don't get tired of it. It's you know, it's it's one of those songs that just has that sound that you just is just going to always feel fresh to me anyway. So so let's hope we win. Yeah, that'd be nice. We. <laughs> we 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 as if as if we're part of this. Yeah, as if we're part of it. Yeah. Now, this was also interesting. Uh, we've been talked about. I don't know if we talked about it on air. I know we talked about it off air about we were wondering if Will Smith had to choose Suicide Squad over Independence Day Resurgence because we re- we realized that the release dates were really close. Right. And it was interesting that Will Smith was having a Facebook Q&A this week and confirmed that he had to choose one or the other and he chose Suicide Squad. Yeah, I think he made the right choice. <laughs> I still haven't seen Independence Day Resurgence, but from what I hear, he made the right choice. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I, I you know, I was never a fan of the original film. And that's just a flaw in your character and I and I look past it. <laughs> every once in a while. Uh, yeah. What's one man's junk is another man's treasure is what I'm hearing. So, so I don't know. I, I had really no interest in it. And, and certainly if I did, it had been so long since the film came out.
now that I just don't, you know, the original film. So I just didn't, I still wouldn't have had any interest, I don't think. Well, a lot of other people didn't either. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something that some people did have interest in. I could be. Yeah. <laughs> Zack Snyder took to Vero, the new social media uh, service out there that's been heavily promoted by Clay Enos. And of course, Zack Snyder, he's been exclusively posting on it lately. Uh, he put finally out this, this little two minute mashup between Batman v Superman and Star Wars. And it was almost, I think almost entirely based on the original Batman v Superman trailer that we got. The teaser. Yeah, that first teaser. Yeah. Yeah, the first teaser. And so um, we had seen lots of little bits and pieces of this, but there was a bunch of things that we hadn't seen. And so I think this thing has been completed for like over a year at this point. And uh, so they never really fully released it, but he decided, nope, now was the time. And he put this little trailer out and it was just a lot of fun. I mean, for a, a fan, of course, of, you know, all the DC characters and, and Star Wars as well. I mean, it's uh, these mashups are, are quite fun. I hope uh, Zach continues it with Justice League, which is going to be coming out around the same time. Let's see. I think it'll be a month away from episode eight. Yeah, a month away from episode eight. So I hope he continues the same kind of thing because, I mean, the fans definitely ate it up as well. Well, he and J.J. Abrams had so much fun doing it right before episode you know, seven came out. And now with Rogue One coming out in a week, it just, you know, Zack Snyder is just showing some Star Wars love. Yeah. And it's obvious that he really does love that franchise the same way yep. and just pays tribute to it this way. So and of course, everyone wants to read into it and be like, does this mean we're going to get Justice League trailer with Rogue One? And it's like, <laughs> probably not. Maybe, though. Maybe. But, you know, I, would I would I crap my pants? Yes. Yes, I would totally because, you know, I'm going to be there watching Rogue One. Right. And it's but I think part of it just to be Zach just sort of celebrating Star Wars the same way he did right before Force Awakens. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, though, when that trailer kind of uh, opens up and we have that we have that scene where it's at night through what do we call it? Superman Park, Millennium, Millennium Park. Did we ever give it a name in Batman v Superman? It was Heroes Park. It was Heroes Park. Yeah, thank you. That's right. So it's in Heroes Park, kind of slowly zooming in on a statue. And of course, you see the Death Star and an Imperial Star Destroyer in the background, just beyond the Metropolis sky. It's, it's just, I just love that part of it. Oh, I loved all the clips from Star Wars instead of the talking heads. <laughs> right, I did too. And the one that I really loved was where you go, you know, it's a trap. <laughs> that was so perfect to just kind of throw in there. Oh, boy. And they even threw in Jar Jar Banks, which was just, <laughs> it was evil, I guess. Maybe that's a better way of describing it. Well, we got some, I don't really know if we can call this news or not. I, we're, we're talking about um, Joe Manganiello was doing an interview on the Rick Eisen show, and he was really there to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers because he's a Pittsburgh boy. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, of course, it, it got brought up about him playing Deathstroke in the standalone Batman movie. And when he was asked about the film's plot and his role in the film, he said it's about Gotham and there's this guy that dresses like a bat. I play a one-eyed, like the world's deadliest assassin who only has one eye. And then when asked, you know, whether he or not he had wrapped on the project, he said, uh, no, we will start at some point this year, it looks like. Yeah. And of course, everyone just, this year, 2016, there's only like one month left. Is it going to start filming? And everyone just goes crazy. Yeah. Calm down. Well, I... I want to believe, right? So, well, that's the thing. We all want to believe. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of these deals where, you know, I, I went back and watched the the original video on it. And just, I'm trying to discern exactly what he was trying to say. And in the end, when I looked at it, like, I couldn't conclude one thing, one way or the other. I, it looked to me like when he said this year, he's really meaning this upcoming year, or it's either that, or he's literally, literally meaning within the next 12 months, like this within this year coming up. So, I, I don't think he literally meant December. I don't think so. Unless he was like being very kind of exact about it. 
that they're not necessarily filming, but maybe they're starting some of the pre-production work, you know, and maybe he's doing some of the stuff, maybe costume fits or that kind of thing. Maybe that's happening in December. Who knows? They're training, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. oh, no. Well, and then following that, we also had, um, we talked about Army Hammer last week with all of the internet slews picking up on all of the Twitter traffic. Well, of course, Army and Joe and Jeff Johns all decided to have a good laugh at the internet's expense. <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw this Army Hammer one and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. He he let out these, you know, string of tweets like five minutes apart almost. And it was like very large announcements coming soon. And then it was, I will be playing my old guitar tonight. Found in the closet. I was how long it had been. And of course, <laughs> everyone just goes, oh, oh. And if you didn't realize that he was pulling, pulling oh, yeah. your leg, I mean, come on, really? Yeah. Well, and I actually, so I took a look at that string. And I'm like, okay, these guys are just having a lot of fun, you know, with the fans right now. And I don't remember who did it, but somebody had actually responded to Army's last tweet. And it was something along the lines of like, I see what you just did there. This fan found an old picture of Green Lantern playing a guitar <laughs> in a band of some sort, you know, with uh, Superman and Batman. And uh, that was just hilarious to me anyway. Oh, I saw the one where someone like circled the G in guitar, the R in realized, and the E-E-N in Ben. It was like, look, it's green. It's like, oh my God, we're going full Da Vinci code on Army Hammer's tweets. I mean, yeah, really? It's funny. So yeah, as soon as I saw that, I, I think I even responded out. I said, you know, now that I'm seeing them trolling the fans, makes me believe this less and less that, you know, he's actually has a role. But I mean, in the end, I, I think he does have a role, but, uh, you know, it's it's certainly not going to be anything like Green Lantern in my view. <laughs> I know that's a popular rumor with a lot of people. Well, and then Army Hammer and, and Joe Manganiello started like tweeting back at each other and even releasing like a photo of them like looking at something on a on a on a computer and you know like minute work and so good to see you dude great to catch up seen a few days you know yeah. stuff like they're working on something together mm-hmm. I think they're working on a meal I think that's what they actually did yeah well see for me it makes me feel like maybe he is involved and that's the reason that they're having so much fun with it it's mm-hmm. like oh yeah we're gonna we're gonna let you know that we're involved we're not gonna tell you jack yeah but but the funny thing is that even Jeff Johns retweeted Manganiello's tweet of uh, the photo of them working in the kitchen. So mm-hmm. even Jeff Johns is getting in on the fun. Well, so this is okay. I'll, I'll tell you where my thoughts land on this. I think when it comes to Army and Joe, I think they can play around and not really care so much about it with the fact that they might be toying with the fans. I don't think Jeff Johns would do that. And so I think clearly they are working together, uh, whether it be the Batman or whatever. I think, it, you know, there's some kind of connection there. We don't know what it is. I don't, I think all this is purely trolling right now from those guys. But the fact that Jeff Johns kind of like retweeted it, I think it's kind of acknowledging something there. Like, I don't think Jeff Johns would do that with, at the risk of letting the fans down. So. Right. Exactly. He's too smart. He's too smart for that. Right. I mean, because he's in a pretty important role, right? So it's something he wouldn't take lightly. Well, a little bit of a DC TV news. Uh, Invasion apparently brought CW its best ratings week in six years. And that means it dates back to when Smallville was on the air. So they brought in 2.3 million viewers on average uh, for the week, <laughs> which is is a Smallville number. Supergirl had 2.36 million, which made it its high made its CW's highest rated Monday in five years and a record setting for male viewers. Flash brought in 4 million, Arrow brought in 3.5 million, and then DC Legends brought in 3.33 million. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, wow. So, yeah, like we said last week, uh, this guarantees we'll see something like this again next year. I hope so. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, then CW on their website and on their app had a cool, a lot of cool little special features that are available like 
right after the episode airs live. And so after the mid-season finale of Flash aired, they did this thing called CW Fan Feast, and they had Daniel Panabaker and Carlos Valdez on there with uh, Tiffany from the DC All Access app and some other people. And they did confirm that the character of Gypsy will be making an appearance on the Flash TV show. That's cool. Now, I'm familiar with Gypsy because of the New 52 when Vibe had that short-lived comic book series mm-hmm. in the New 52, the one that Kreisberg uh, jo- uh, and Jeff John started and then Sterling Gates finished out. And Gypsy played a major part in that story arc with Vibe. Okay, and I'm familiar with Gypsy from way back when Luke McDonald and uh, who was the writer at the time? But it was back with the old Justice League Detroit era of Justice League. And Ah, okay. Yeah, that was where Vibe was actually introduced and you had, uh, was it Vibe? And you had Gypsy and there's a couple other characters I'm missing here. But Was it Vixen in there? Vixen, oh yeah, Vixen was in there and there was one more and uh, that's where I'm drawing a blank on it right now. But yeah, so that's where okay. I first remember Gypsy and, and and it was it was such a stereotypical Gypsy. I mean, the name, they took the name Gypsy and they, they made her literally dress like the stereotypical Gypsy. <laughs> so they've since kind of revamped the character and she's been used in Birds of Prey. Uh, she was uh, actually in Justice League Task Force, I believe, as well. So, um, but that's just fun. I, I like the idea that they're they're taking some of these characters, especially you know from way back when in the '80s and '90s and all that, and and bringing them forward. I, I think it's it's all, it's all good to help you know kind of build up the legacy of these characters. In the New Fifty Two run, she was played as sort of a, a multiverse uh, hopper. Yeah. So it tied into because in the New Fifty Two, Vibe's powers became much more multiverse related. Mm-hmm. Thus, and that kind of inspired uh, Vibe's appearance in the TV show. So I have a feeling that maybe Gypsy, you know, they'll they'll probably lean more toward that New 52 version than maybe the Justice League Detroit version. Right, because I mean, the Justice League Detroit version was really, uh, she can create like illusions and I think she could camouflage herself or essentially make herself kind of invisible. So I don't know. You know, they, they probably would still play a little bit on that, but I, I, I definitely like the idea that the character would be a lot more tied to vibe. Yeah, awesome. So we both watched the Arrow mid-season finale. Yes. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. <laughs> Uh, please jump ahead like two minutes because yep. we don't want to spoil it for you. Um, I did not see that ending coming. No, I was completely caught off guard. <laughs> okay, so w- for those of you who don't mind being spoiled, Laurel shows up in the Arrow Cave in the last 30 seconds of the episode. Yeah. No explanation. None. Cliffhanger. None. So, and so we have to wait till the end of January to find out what's going on. But yeah, for those of you who have given up on Arrow because, you know, your favorite character might have been Laurel, uh, Black Canary, uh, you need to tune back in. She's back. Yeah, she's back. And then not just because of uh, uh, that reason. I would also argue that, you know, this is the best season of Arrow yet. Word. Just every single episode has been completely important, on relevant, point. on point. It's It's been so good. You know, I tip my hat to Arrow Rider's room here. I mean, they've done such a phenomenal job this season. And the flashbacks to, to the season one timeline. Remember, we had talked about a story several weeks ago about how Stephen Amell mentioned on like Twitter or Facebook that he was in the season one costume and that he had filmed in it recently. And there it was. I mean, the, the whole Prometheus origin is tied into his actions in that season one timeline. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of cool to see the old costume again and the old bow and the old attitude he used to have. I had to get used to the grease paint again. <laughs> yeah, that was a little funny to see that after, you know, so long. But but yeah, I can't can't wait to see this. And now this is one this is when it comes back like January 24th, 25th, 25th. OK, all right. 25th, because the 24th, I think, is Flash. On Tuesday. Flash, right. OK, that's what I had in my mind. So. All right. So let's move on to this. Scott, we have some kind of unexpected news about Powerless that's come out. One, that there is news. Yeah, one for one that there is news. And, and secondly, we actually have a premiere date that has been announced. And uh, so there was a lot of uncertainty about whether or not 
not this pilot they had filmed would ever actually see the light of day. And it seems like not only are we going to get to see the pilot, but they've they've actually they must be actively filming some other shows here. So it is going to premiere February second on NBC at seven thirty Central, eight thirty Eastern. Right, right. So so we're going to get, uh, and I think this is yeah. So this will be a half hour comedy. I'm looking forward to the show because I think there's so much potential to just have just ridiculous fun with this. Uh, but we do have something else to kind of tell you about this. They have actually kind of revamped the setting and the purpose of the show. The concept. The concept, I guess. Yeah, that's a better way of describing it. They've revamped the concept from what it had originally been. Now, if we go back, this originally was supposed to be set in an insurance company office where they're basically having to deal with all the the damage that comes about from the, the heroes and villains battling each other. Because it was actually going to be called like Retcon Insurance Company. Like right. even the name of the insurance company was going to be a great little nod. Yeah, yeah. They have revamped this a little bit. And uh, let me read to you the new description for the show. In a world where humanity must cope with the collateral damage of superheroes and supervillains, Emily Locke, played by Vanessa Hudgens, begins her first day as Director of Research and Development for Wayne Security, a subsidiary of Wayne Enterprises that specializes in products that make def- defenseless spy standards feel a little safer. Full of confidence and big ideas, Emily quickly learns that her expectations far exceed those of her new boss, played by Alan Tudyk, and office mates, so it will be up to her to lead the team toward their full potential and the realization that you don't need superpowers to be a hero. So I found this real interesting that they are very much tying us right into the Batman mythos. Well, I just, I'm not, I'm not really surprised about that, but just the surprise, this, the original concept was an insurance company that basically covered liability for superhero, supervillain battles and that Vanessa Hudgens was actually a character who would actually like stand up for heroes and be like, really? Do you see what you're doing around here? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, that kind of, and then she was fighting at her insurance company to kind of get them to pay out the, uh, you know, the, the policy uh, for, you know, the different damages. And now, now it's going from that to being someone who actually, like, they like, build stuff that gives, you know, non-metas ways to protect themselves. I mean, this yeah. is, I would not be surprised at that trailer that we saw, like, almost a year ago now. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw none of that footage. Like, I, I think yeah. that entire pilot got scrapped. Yeah, and if we can report back, uh, and I don't remember what the time frame was on this, but they had lost a showrunner for this uh, show. He left. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was Ben something, I can't remember the name, but Ben Queen, I think. Yes, Ben Queen, because he was the creator and the showrunner. Yeah. So uh, we had said at the time, like, well, this isn't good news for this show. And it sounds like uh, they just kind of retooled it and they're moving forward. So, I'm, you know, I'm still looking forward to because I think this is going to be with these cast of characters. I mean, th- there's potential to just be great comedy and especially as a DC fan. Yeah. So w- w- I guess we'll all be tuning in Thursday, February 2nd to yep. just see what we end up getting. Yep, for sure. And then sort of lastly tonight, uh, we got a new IMAX poster review for the Lego Batman movie, <laughs> which is kind of cool because in the trailer we saw Barbara Gordon as like Commissioner Gordon, mm-hmm. but then in this poster we get Batman, Robin, and Batgirl in the poster. Yeah, and I love the tagline: um, "He's taking them under his wing of awesomeness." <laughs> uh, this is this is gonna be fun. I will be seeing this in IMAX. Yeah, I will be seeing it. I don't know if I'll do that. I, I don't have an IMAX. I, my closest IMAX is an hour away from where I live. But just as a reminder, guys, this comes out February 10th. So this is a really our next. Next big uh, DC property film. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. Yeah, this will be fun. So funny. Hey guys, you know, that's it for this week's podcast. It was kind of a slow week, but we still, uh, you know, want to give you something on a weekly basis. We want to, most of all, thank you for listening and just hope you enjoyed our little bit of discussion this week. Yeah. Now, as always, we love to hear your comments and, you know, any suggestions of stories. I mean, several stories we got tonight were tweeted to us by listeners and we appreciate that. And if you want to be able to tweet something to us, you can always reach the show at Suicide Squadcast or you can reach me, Scott personally at scott dc 27 and you can reach me on twitter at alan fire and 
you could also reach the show at suicide squadcast at gmail.com or Facebook. Yeah, and Facebook. And we actually we, we kind of forget to mention all these other places. Uh, we have a Vero account, believe it or not. And YouTube. Yeah. And we have a YouTube account. We personally don't do much on it. <laughs> yeah. Some of the other uh, shows on our network do. But uh, we also have a Web page, suicide So go check that out. We love to interact with our fans. So, yes, please reach out, find these different places. Did you see that Chris posted another uh, YouTube video about superpowers? Number one, I did. I'm looking forward to that series. Oh, my God. I'm still I, I, I loved I love Superman Family Adventures. I need to catch up on Tiny Titans. I just I just love that all ages book. And I can't wait to see what he had to say about that book. Yeah, Chris is doing a great job. He's he's a he's a pro when it comes to doing his YouTube videos. And and actually, I have some Chris news right now. Ooh, yeah. Chris and his wife just gave birth to a son. And this happened last night. So, OK, so we do so we have a comic book related name. I mean, we, so far we've had we've had two so far. So do we have a third? Make a hat trick. Um, you know, I'm going to leave that up to Chris to reveal it. So we'll just leave it at that. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, cliffhanger. Yeah, cliffhanger. So go check out their show. DC Comics Squadcast. Yes. yes. Now, I'm not sure when they're going to be recording next. They may have to take a pause this upcoming week, uh, which is understandable. You know, babies do that to you. Yeah. Congratulations, Chris and Ansley. So I can't wait, you know, find out about how his first week went. Because <laughs> this is going to be a big shock for him having that first child. Oh, it, it's, it's his first, isn't it's it? It's his first, yeah. Yep. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, that's it, guys. We're going to go ahead and close this one out. You know, uh, we just want to say I hope you guys have a great week coming up here. And, you know, we're getting real close to uh, the end of the year holiday. So uh, try to get all your stuff in before the end of the year. And most importantly, guys, make sure you keep reading DC. Bye, guys. Yep. Hammer, Joe Manganello. Hey, we love you guys. We are completely behind you. We hope you do great things in the DCEU. But, uh, but you're trolling us. Yeah. I, that's not cool. That's not cool at all. You're totally trolling us. And we have ways of dealing with trolls on this show. Hey, Army Hammer and Joe Man- Mangan- Mangan- Manganiana- Manganiello. Manganiello, right? <laughs> <laughs>